Welcome to the Superhero of Love podcast. I am Bridget Fonger. I wrote a book called Superhero of Love, Heal Your Broken Heart and Then Go Save the World. That book is going to be out in January 2019, but I didn't want to wait until that time to start talking to superheroes of love. And guess what? Here's the news. You are a superhero of love. And through talking to other superheroes like yourself, tapping into that little superhero inside of you, I'm hoping that you and I and all of us start feeling more and more like superheroes of love, meaning that we love and are loved more than ever before. So welcome. Let's get this party started. Okay, so we're sitting in my living room. Who's here? Who's here? <laughs> it's, it's Orna and Matthew Walters. Welcome, Orna and Matthew. Thank you. We're excited <laughs> to be here. Thanks, Bridget. We love that we came out to see you live. I know. she came. They came really far, and, um, and but I'm going to give them lunch, but I'm making them wait for lunch because I was afraid that we would talk about too many interesting things during lunch and that we needed to save all of our... But, We've already had, like, interesting conversation just making tea. Um, so Orna and Matthew Walters are love experts. They are soulmate coaches for all of us. And they, ha- they are the founders of Love on Purpose Revolution and also their coaching program, Bring in Your Beloved. I love the word beloved. I love it when people use the word beloved. Oh, my God. Let's talk about the word beloved. And you can find them at loveonpurpose.com. And we'll put all the links in the show notes so everybody knows all the different ways that they can reach them. And we'll, we'll touch on specific things, I'm sure. And we'll give direct links to all those specific things that we touch on. I met uh, Orna at an event with our beloved friend Carol Carol. Allen shout out to Carol Allen who is one of the brightest lights on this planet and she has um, love is in the stars.com she's a Vedic astrologer and she gathers love experts all around her in the most beautiful generous way like share your love amongst each other everyone yeah right yeah I mean Carol's the best and you know when we started the Love on Purpose Revolution back in 2011, we were looking to connect with different love experts. And we met Carol, and she literally goes, oh, let me introduce you to everybody. And she basically filled our whole event with everybody she knew. Yeah, like everybody. She knows yeah, all the love experts. She has such a generous heart and does such great work. And we just, we love Carol. We love Carol. Shout out to Carol. Okay, so... We're here today, the day after Notre Dame was Destroyed singed. By a fire. Yeah, I yeah. mean, so heartbreaking. So heartbreaking. And so we were, were drinking Paris tea. Yes, yeah, so we're drinking Harney and Sons. Shout out to Harney and Sons tea. <laughs> um, we, we, we found that we have that in common, that we all love Harney and Sons tea. If you haven't discovered Harney and Sons tea, my friend Fran sent me a gift box years ago, and I am. Um, at forever bowing to her for introducing me to Harney and Sons, who, by the way, it's such a cool company. Like I sent them a note saying how much I love their teas and the head of the company, it's a family owned company. And he replied saying how much it made his day. Like, Oh my God. Yeah. That's like, well, what we, about a love company, right? Well, we take a, a group to Hawaii every year. <gasps> we do a four month intensive. We call love on purpose mastery. So it begins with a retreat in Los Angeles, a whole bunch of stuff in between for four months. And then we end in Maui um with a retreat and for many years we always hosted it at the Ritz Carlton in Kapalua 
And at the Ritz-Carlton is where we got introduced to Harney and Sons <sighs> Tea. And they have this lemongrass green, which for us is like our Hawaii tea. Yes. You know, it has, Matthew, what, what are all the flavors It's got it? coconut and lemongrass. And they call it, you know, Thai green tea or something like that. But for us, it, <sighs> it just reminds us of the islands, you know? It's right. It's a love us. tea. It's yeah. a love tea for you guys. Because yeah. it brings it. So well, that's why we end in Maui. Because Maui is the love island. Yes. You know, and so it's so special and powerful there. And it's, it's really yeah, to bring that group together there and, and to be together in a retreat in such a special spiritual location. Well, there's actually, a, a, if you don't mind me just jumping in, there's yes. an amazing story about that. So the first time we were there, we were in the suite in, at the Ritz-Carlton looking out at the ocean. And there's this piece of land called Dragon's Tooth that sticks out into the, you know, the way all the volcanic rock is there. And um, we see these people walking like... They're kind of like walking in a circle and then stopping and walking back and walking around. And they're they're looking down at the ground as they're walking. And I'm, and I'm watching this for like 20 minutes and I go, there's a labyrinth down there. Oh, my God. That's so cool. So we go down and we find this labyrinth that somebody put on this thing that's jutting out into the ocean. Oh, my God. And then the and so we actually ended our retreat doing a whole meditation on the labyrinth. Which was pretty amazing. So, so beautiful. the next year we go there and we meet with the cultural advisor to the Ritz Carlton, who's who's you know really in tune with the Hawaiian spiritual practices and all the traditional Hawaiian you know stuff. And he goes, he tells us this story about the labyrinth because he's the one who built it. And he said, I put it there, but we don't tell anybody that it's there. Oh, my God. When he says, I know so much about the two of you that you discovered it. Because you only discover it if you're meant to. Wow. He said, people so come beautiful. here year after year after year and don't know that it's there. He said, the fact that you guys showed up here and found it on your first visit. He's like, that, that says a lot about who you are. And one of the things he said about that Dragon's Tooth area is that it's a portal to... The ancestors. And wow. we do such powerful inner work, right? We're all connected back through the ages. Like so much of who we are through epigenetics and everything, right? We're tied to the past. And so much of what we do to remove blocks to love is to free people from the past. And it was such a powerful place to do this, you know, to, to sort of have the ritual of finishing this program there that we, we'd go back every year. Tell us about that, that workshop and is it for single people? Is it for couples? I'm curious about the... Um, all of our work is for singles looking for love. Okay. We do work with men, but we market to women. The mastery group, sorry guys, that is just for the ladies. Honestly, we modeled our ideal client after me. I mean, I was very successful in the entertainment industry for decades. My last position was director of development at a company called Patriarch Pictures. And I just sort of had enough of the entertainment industry and I jumped ship and I um, started a coaching practice as a life coach, as a manifestation coach. And I actually, in doing that, I started networking and I joined this networking group and actually that's where I met Matthew. Okay. So tell us about clearing the way to find Matthew. Oh, goodness. I think we could take up like the rest of the afternoon to talk about that. So, Bridget, I know, you know, we met socially mostly, so I don't think you know my story. But in a nutshell, I grew up in a home with abuse. I mean, there was emotional abuse and physical abuse. And I didn't have either parent to be a grounding force. So I, I always say I grew up in a house of chaos. 
Um, my dad was incredibly violent. In my 20s, when I started therapy, my um, therapist called him a rageaholic. And I actually thought she had coined that term just for my dad. It wasn't wow. until a few decades later that I realized, oh, that's a thing. Right. <laughs> there are other people that are rageaholics. But, you know, there wasn't any clue. Like, you know, he didn't drink alcohol. He didn't use drugs. He didn't. There wasn't any other clue of, uh-oh, he might be off in this moment. And I remember, you know, being... I think I was probably around five, six years old, and I said something at the dinner table that I thought, you know, was completely nothing, and he stood up and punched me in the face, and I remember my mom coaching me the next morning about what to say in school, because I had this big black eye, and then there were other times when I thought he was going to kill me, and he didn't touch me, so there were no rules, right, mm -hmm. and my mom is a malignant narcissist my mom's a holocaust survivor mm. my parents immigrated to the u.s in the early 60s my brother my oldest brother was five when they came to the to the united states and i think of myself as this little girl in this family like when matthew sees pictures of me as especially my baby pictures like baby through toddler and all that i look lost i mean the look on my face is like like i'm in the wrong house you know i, I mean i, I really it was it was so traumatic for me to be in that house that I, I really think that a lot of why I survived the way that I did to be adaptable in society, because I don't really think either of my brothers really did made that leap very well, is I would farm myself out to other families. And I spent as much time as I could not in my childhood home. You know, I'd go across to the neighbor's house. I'd go over to a friend's house. I'd... And I really soaked up a lot from the other people and the other families that would sort of take me in. And one of the things for me was I knew that I was smart. And so I knew that was like my ticket out of the crazy house. And so it was really important for me to go to college. And I, I paid my way through four years at UCLA. I got a lot of grant money. I worked full time while I was in school. I worked like three jobs over the summertime, you know, save up money. And... What really struck me was in my late 20s, I ended up in a relationship with a guy who I really thought was the guy. You know, we met working together and he was so charismatic and charming and I thought everything I ever wanted. And, you know, we ended up eventually moving in together and after being together about a year and a half, it just happened to be New Year's Eve, so I can never forget the date. But on New Year's Eve of 1994, he beat me. And honestly, it was the wake-up call of a lifetime because I can't imagine that I'd be doing this work if I hadn't had that experience. Mm -hmm. Because the physical wounds healed rather quickly, but what plagued my brain was how did that happen? Like mm -hmm. how the hell did that happen? How, mm -hmm. how did I, an educated, smart you Kick know, ass. woman, how did I pick him? Yeah. Like I was so drawn to him. And I was like, there's something here. There's something off. Like there's something off in me. And I was like, you know, like I'm married to Mr. Safe, right? Mr. Mm -hmm. Matthew here next to me, you know? <laughs> I mean, he escorts bugs out of our house, right? Like he doesn't <laughs> hurt. He won't hurt a fly. Thank you, Matthew. And, and so, you know, in my past, I would have never found this safe guy attractive, right? And so I knew something in me was off. And honestly, there wasn't a love on purpose. There wasn't an Orna and Matthew. There wasn't a system. And so I spent literally decades and hundreds of thousands of dollars and tons of time and energy and effort to go, how do I change this? Because when I would get really quiet 
And I would ask myself, what do you want? You know, I just like in my soul searching and in my heart of hearts, I'd ask myself, what do I really, really want? And the answer always came back as love. I wanted Mm. love. And it wasn't that I needed to share my life with somebody. I didn't need a man for something. I mean, I was here I was working in one of the most competitive industries in all the land, you know, making movies of $100 million plus budgets and more and all around the globe and working for some of the most successful producers in Hollywood. And that was very satisfying to a degree. But when I really looked at it, it's like, what did I want? Like, I didn't need a man, but I wanted, like, I wanted that special connection. I wanted somebody to really get me. I wanted somebody to share my life with. Mm. And so it was important to me to figure this whole thing out. And so what I know now is, is that we choose what's familiar. Can I ask you a quick question about um, the childhood wounds? So in other words, and I share that, like my book is about, um, thank God for that relationship because I was able to heal those. It awakened me to the childhood wounds that had still not been healed. So did you heal those child, do you feel like you healed those childhood wounds? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a transformation. You know, the work that Matthew and I do revolves around this idea, this, um, we sort of coined this phrase, we call your love imprint, right? So your love imprint is how your subconscious mind identifies as love. And so you have to remember as human beings, we're, we're wired for survival. We're not wired to thrive. Like to the subconscious, everything is about surviving, keeping you alive. And we exist in this very narrow strip, right? We exist in this narrow sort of little Goldilocks zone of temperature and of heart rate and of all of these different things. So this homeostasis that our body has around our physical body is also true about our circumstances and our our situations. So when you've had trauma, particularly in your childhood, it's still familiar to the subconscious. So your subconscious can't judge, right? It doesn't have the capacity to say, oh, you're alive and blissfully happy or you're alive and suicidal and miserable, right? It just doesn't know. It knows alive is good. So because it, you survive to a certain age and you've survived whatever was in you experienced in your childhood home or whatever, whatever events took place, we're wired to bring in more of those same experiences simply because we're alive today. Speaking of subconscious, I just want to, because I didn't give any of your credentials, so you just told us your credentials, though, which is great, but sure. Matthew, hypnotherapist, yeah, and I'm let's cert- talk about certified the hypnotherapist. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm also trained in NLP, neuro-linguistic programming, therapeutic imagery, all different ways to access the subconscious and speak the language of the subconscious, right? Because the subconscious doesn't, like, speak English or French or Swahili or whatever our <laughs> language is, right? It communicates through symbol, image, story, and metaphor, and it communicates through the body, through physical sensation, right? You could say that your physical body is the manifestation of your subconscious mind. And so when you have a feeling, whether it's a physical sensation like pain or whether it's an emotional sensation in your body, it's all information from your subconscious. And so being able to understand that and being able to communicate with your subconscious in that way and 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 working with somebody who can guide you through that is is I think crucial to this whole journey we're on right because it is the emotional story that we're carrying about the past that we need to let go of 
It's not the the events themselves, right? right. We all have right. circumstances. We all have things that happen to us. And sometimes those things were big and dramatic, and sometimes those things weren't. I mean, in my childhood, you know, I grew up in a very traditional Midwestern Catholic family, right? Mm-hmm. Five kids. My parents were married up until 57 years, until my mother passed a few mm-hmm. years ago, right? Mm-hmm. So, and and my siblings, only one of them is divorced. The other ones have all been married to the same person they married, right? Now, me, I didn't get married until I was 40. And I, you know, a friend of mine from college, we were talking, this is just a couple of years ago, and she she looks at me and she goes, I can't believe I'm getting relationship advice from the man I used to refer to as the toxic bachelor. Oh, <laughs> right? my God. And I was like, wow, I had never heard that before. Whoa. But it wait, did. Wait, wait, can you explain what that is and why did yeah. she call you that? Oh, my sure, God, I've never sure. heard that phrase before. That's hilarious. The toxic bachelor, right? So I, I... I was a traditional hit and run, right? Um, wow, bam, you don't look you, like that. Bam, bam, thank oh you, Oh, my God, he has the sweetest. You, you guys will see. You see in the, in the program notes you have the sweetest. No, the, the antithesis of that with your face. Like, right. you would never guess. So no, you, I mean, so I, you're like I, a spider. Like mm, I'm going to bring you in with my innocence. Well, I don't know if I was. If I was. Face. I don't know if I was that like conscious of no, it. Right? Of I knew you guys were. who were like who. Who I'm were kidding, much more I'm just predatory that your, sexually, your face right? Belies yeah, you. Well, thank <laughs> you. I, <laughs> I wouldn't have called you a player. No, the behavior was very unconscious, right? Yeah. Um, it really came from a deep-rooted sense of not liking myself, and so I couldn't really be with anybody who really liked me. I always sort of looked down on somebody who thought I was great, right? I'm like, oh, right, what's wrong with you, right? Really, you like me? What's wrong with you, right? That was my inner dialogue. And then the second thought was always wait till you get to know me because, <laughs> because you know, all the alcoholic behavior that I had would show up. And I didn't, and, wait, you know. Wait, you were alcoholic? Yeah, I've been sober oh. for 17 years. Oh, I did not know that part. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so that was a big part of it, right? That's huge. Um, and my family all... And the self-loathing. And the self-loathing, right? My family all, for the most part, drunks. Um, friendly drunks, right? Happy drunks. Happy drunks. Um, happily married drunks. Happily married drunks, right? So, I mean, you can function in the world and, and you know, be like that. Um, not everybody's like some angry alcoholic, right? Some people are just a lot of fun when they get drunk. And I thought I was, you know, until the next day when I woke up and I was hungover. And then I wasn't so fun, right? In fact, I remember... You know, I moved in. The first woman I ever lived with, when we, I would wake up in the morning and I'd literally be like, "Don't even talk to me," Whoa. until I had coffee, and I, and then I'd be like, "Oh, hi, how you doing?" But in the morning, I'd just be like, "Get away from me," right? And this wow. just like, and I didn't realize how bad it was until there was somebody else with me. Because right. when I was alone, I could be that way all I wanted, right? right. You know, and I'd just be an inner you dialogue. Even, you don't even realize you're cranky when you're alone. Right. Because <laughs> you don't have anybody to bounce up against. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so a lot of my journey was one, sobering up, two, realizing that, you know, what I was looking for wasn't outside of me. Mm. Um, I was an actor. I was in entertainment as well. And, you know, I finally started getting some success. And I was like, I don't like this. I don't even like, I don't like the people I'm around. I don't like what I'm doing. I remember doing this commercial and I was just like, this is just stupid. You know, I'm a much more intelligent person than this. There's more I have to bring to the world than, you know, selling Petco or whatever it was. Right. And so I realized it's like, oh, I'm the reason I'm unhappy. And I went on this whole journey. I started studying meditation and yoga. I discovered hypnosis and hypnotherapy. I discovered all this stuff and it really woke me up to, you know, what was really going on and something really interesting happened so when orna and i were falling in love and i was hearing her story and learning about her and everything i had this client 
this hypnosis client. And she came to me because she had been dating this guy, this really charismatic artist, right? And she was somebody who had been like eight or nine years sober. And this guy was an alcoholic and, you know, kind of a nut job. And he would literally like leave open bottles of alcohol at her home, right? And he would... As he as he discovered things about her childhood, he would use them to manipulate her. Oh Jesus! And then the whole thing ended dramatically, and and Thank then God. she was like, "I can't stop thinking about him." She was devastated. She was devastated and obsessed and obsessed with this guy who consciously she knew was horrible and horrible for her. And so she's like, she came to me. She's like, "I don't know what to do about this." And and working with her and also he getting to know Orna and hearing her story and her journey was sort of, for me, the light bulb that went off where we discovered this idea of your love imprint, right? This whole idea that as a child, we come in needing to feel loved and safe, right? right? Those are like two emotional needs that we have to have in order to survive and thrive in the world. And we're really adaptable. I don't think people understand how adaptable the human species is, right? right? We'll take any horrible situation and we'll contort it in our own minds so that we get the love and safety that we need, yep. right? Now, it's it's not really the love and safety we need, but it, it sort of like becomes the strategies we need in order to try to get them, right? right. right? And, and we do it in this really interesting way. We say, instead of saying, well, gee, mom or gee, dad or whoever that person is who's raising you, like that, that's not really helpful, this right? This isn't well, good parenting. This isn't good parenting. <laughs> what would be really great is if you just gave me a hug and told me that you love me and everything's going to be okay, right? <laughs> right. We don't, instead of like being able to articulate that, we say, what's wrong with me right. that my parent is behaving this way? We take full responsibility as children. Yep. You know, so my love imprint is – or, you know, from my families, I'm unlovable. So, of course, I didn't get married until after 40 because, honestly, I, I never thought anybody would marry me. I mean, even when Matthew proposed and I said yes, he's like, okay, so you've been planning this since you were four and you know exactly the wedding you want. I laughed. I was like, no. Mm. I, I Honestly, I, I never thought I would get here. I, I didn't know I would get here. And actually, even a couple years before Matthew was the first time I'd ever decided I actually wanted a husband. Like, and I spent so much time then working on this idea of bringing in a husband, mm-hmm. like not a boyfriend, a husband. That's mm-hmm. a very specific thing because mm-hmm. I never knew that I wanted to get married. I mean, even when I was a little girl, I thought it'd be cool to just like live across the street from my husband. I'm like, why do people have to live in the same house? That seems like a lot of work, you know? I actually still think that. (laughs) Well, you can have your true soul partnership that way. I mean, certainly not everybody is supposed to work with their spouse. I mean, Matthew and I are married 10 years this year. And we joke that because we work together and we spend, you know, 24-7, 365 together, that it's like dog years. So this year we're actually married like 70 years, you know, because... We work together too, and that's not for everybody. You get to create it for yourself. No, and that's why I made the mistake. I just want to acknowledge that I made the mistake because I, I, I know your website. I know your material. You know, I read your materials, and and we talked a little bit. And I'm sure you, it, it's all very clear that it's for single women. But you guys are such an incredible couple. So it just feels like. Have you thought about working with couple? I mean, like seriously, you're just such an emblem of making it work. Thank you. That's really sweet. And we did actually briefly work with couples early on. We flirted with we it. We flirted with it. We had a couple, like three or four couples that we worked with. And one, we realized the structure of what we do was too unwieldy to do with four people. 
Okay. Right? right. It was just like, That's you know. That's a lot of people on the line. There's a lot of people. Because we coach on the phone, right? Okay, and it's right. a lot of people on the conference line. And who gets to talk and, and how does everybody get their turns? We tried breaking it up where we do some sessions with the wife and some with the husband, right? And then right. we bring them together. And yeah. it was just, you know, it was just not wheeled. It wasn't practical. But also, we hadn't been married that long. Mm-hmm. And so we were still very much in the honeymoon phase of our relationship. Right. And so mm-hmm. we hadn't gone through the power struggle. Right. We hadn't learned how to get to the other side. Right. And, and mean, how to navigate. Now, now yeah. I think, yeah. you know, we could definitely. This is, we've I'm talked d- about I'm just it. We saying. We just don't know how to, how to bring it in. Right? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's, yeah, I think maybe in the future, certainly. But yeah, I mean, when Matthew and I started working together was the same year we got married. So what, what would I have to say to somebody who's having marital issues? You know, right, right. what we were really excited about was sharing our journey to one another. Right, how we cleared the way for one another. You know, yeah. I tease him that I created him, and he teases me that he created me. And and quite frankly, us working together in creating love on purpose was kind of by accident. So our, our joke is that we do love on purpose and business by accident. Oh, because, that's cool. That's you know, we got invited. You know, through someone, through someone like 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 that telephone game. You know, where there was this space in Hollywood, the spa that was going to start having these uh, monthly talks, these motivational you know t- talks, and they were looking for speakers. And we got referred. And so we took the meeting together and we recognized very early in the meeting that they just made the assumption we already worked together. And so both of us have an an acting background. Both of us studied improv, right? Say yes and figure out the details later. So we did. We said yes in the room. We got the date. Our people call your people, blah, 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 blah. And Matthew and I get down to the car. We're like, what are we going to talk about? We had never done anything together before. That's cool. And that's how Creating Love on Purpose was born. I'm curious about creating her on purpose. Did you have the come to Jesus moment a couple of years prior that you wanted a wife? I'm just curious. Yeah, it, it, I, I literally did. You know, part not of a couple years. not a well, <laughs> it, was longer than that. it was a little bit longer than a couple of years. I mean, the, the journey took a little bit for me because um, once again, you know, we were we didn't have a path. We didn't have somebody else showing us the way. We had to figure it out ourselves, right? And um, I did sort of wake up, and the whole idea of actually wanting a wife and wanting to be in a relationship long-term was like kind of a wake-up call. It's like, oh, that's interesting. I actually do. I actually would like that, right? And so, you know, and I think, I mean, this is something I think a lot of women need to understand about men, right? Because once I had that realization, I started doing things to get it, right? right? I started right. taking action. You saw the goal. I saw the goal walk toward that goal. And I started walking towards the goal. I mean, I didn't realize I needed to get more clear about the goal, what the, who, what the goal really was. Right. And I needed to also deal with some of my own stuff in order to be available for that. But I did start like doing things right. That guys who want a relationship act like guys who want a relationship and guys who don't are like how I used to be. And I'll, we've told the story a lot and I think it's really helpful. Um, I remember there was this woman I knew through uh, work and friends and stuff, and, and, you know, she let it be known to me that she liked me. I was like, oh, great. So we went out to dinner, right, and we ended up sleeping together that night. And the next morning I was like, yeah, that was fun, but, I, I you know, I don't really see this going anywhere. And I literally told her that. I thought this is my way of being 
upfront and, and honest and authentic, right? right? This is part of the toxic bachelor behavior, right? <laughs> Let me tell you the truth is this was great, but I don't see this going anywhere, right? Well, I should have not slept with her in the first exactly. place, right? I'm like, could you have said that last night? Exactly. <laughs> I could have said it before I slept 12 with her. 12 hours earlier. But, you know, why would I do that, right? And, and she looks at me and she goes, oh, no, I'll show you. We're supposed to be We're together. supposed to be together. <laughs> And I was, and my response was, instead of saying, well, no, that's probably a bad idea, right? My response was, sure, knock yourself out. Sure, knock yourself out. Right? So, so we end up, like, having this weird sort of, like, dating thing for several months where, you know, she's, like, pulling out she's the stops. Trying to prove it to you. And trying to prove it to me. And I'm, I'm getting regular sex with a woman I find attractive and enjoy her company. Oh, my God. I didn't gosh. have to do a lot. And I didn't have to do any. I didn't have to do anything. I'm curious, what, she, what was she doing to prove it to you? I'm curious. I would just, I mean. Doing everything. Making she was, the plans. She would, yeah. I mean, so she was, she was being the man. She was it, being it, the it, man the, in a lot of ways. But also leader. she would take anything I did and interpret it as, oh, I've changed my mind. Right? I, I mean, I, I'm somebody who I've always liked camping. I've always liked the outdoors. And, and living in Southern California, you know, winter camping out at like Joshua Tree in the desert is really beautiful. And so I wanted to go on this camping trip and, and I couldn't get any of my friends to go. So finally I just called her up and said, well, do you want to go? Cause I didn't want to go by myself. <laughs> right. So oh my part God. of, and, and I, I mean, I, 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 you know, I don't want to sound like that we're picking on her because I was really kind of the jerk in this whole situation. And part of my transformation was that realization one day where I woke up and said, look, I am acting out of my integrity. Right. I am completely out of my integrity by doing this because I know what she wants and I know what I want and it's not the same thing. And, and that's when I broke up and when I ended that relationship. I mean, the reality is, is we all have to watch our heart karma. I mean, you know, we coach a lot of women that just make the assumption that a guy is happy with just sex. Mm -hmm. And we say, well, don't make the assumption because a lot of times, you know, especially middle-aged men are looking for a relationship. And so you can't make the assumption Right. Like a lot of these dating coaches have, you know, some kind of weird formula of like the amount of dates or the amount of time before you have sex and la 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 la. And we're like, just be a grown up. Like have if you're able to have the conversation about what sex means or doesn't mean to you, mm -hmm. if you can have the conversation about sex and have the sex. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we'll tell our clients, you know, look, put off the sex until you're ready for exclusivity. You know, I mean, middle-aged men are starving for affection and love and want a relationship, you know, especially if they've been divorced and they've been beat up and they, they're in a place, you know, a lot of them have left marriages or the, the, they didn't leave the marriage. It wasn't their choice. They were like surprised by the being served with divorce papers and they were like, oh my God, she left. And, and yet they're like, oh, well, I couldn't really win. You know, I didn't know how to win with her. I didn't know how to please her. I didn't know... And I, I just want to say this, because when Matthew shares those stories of him as being the toxic bachelor, mm -hmm. I, I don't know that guy. Right, that was right. Matt. You right. know, I married to Matthew. Right, you know, right. it's, like, it's like a whole different persona. It's like some guy I never met. Right. Like, I never had to ask him, well, where's this going? Right. I never had to ask him. He led the relationship every step of the way. So do you still feel like that's that the male and female roles are? Well, I think once you settle into a relationship, there's a different rhythm to it for sure. But I think it's important in the beginning of the relationship to have it established where the man is the man and the woman is the woman. I know for me, it's important that I get 
I have a ritual at the end of the workday. I mean, for one thing, you know, I worked in the entertainment industry. There wasn't an end to the workday. I mean, I, I joke that working with my husband, I learned a phrase I'd never heard before. It's the end of the day. Right. <laughs> you, know you know what? I have to interrupt you to just say, because it's something that popped into my head earlier, because I used to work in the entertainment industry as well. I think that there are a lot that the entertainment industry basically is chaos because if you haven't worked in the entertainment industry, the person who's listening right now, you literally, you, you, even when you are at the end of an 18 hour day, as you're going to sleep, you're writing down the list of things that you need to do at 6am and blah, blah, blah. But, but it seems like there, there's a lot of, there are a lot of childhood wounds running around the entertainment industry. Oh my God. Trying to earn love. I mean, a lot of our clients recreate their childhood and their place of work. Yeah. And, and a lot of our clients actually have left their J-O-B, not necessarily the career, but the job. I mean, we have a client right now who, when she started working with us, was like, oh, I need to get out of my job. She works in academia. She, worked at, she works at a college. And she's like, I've been applying for other jobs for three years. And what was it, less than three months? She got a new job in another state, better job. But she spent the holidays moving you know, to a new state, to a new school, to a new university. I mean, her whole life changed. And she was like, oh, my God, you guys are like magic. We're like, no, you're magic. We mm-hmm. just showed you how you create for yourself, right? So love that you both say that you didn't have anybody leading you down the path. And so you can help your your, yes. your clients well, cut a shortcut, through you know, straight line. There's a straight line between yes. A and B. You don't have to go A. Well, I think of it like doing the work on your own is happenstance. It's, it's you know, like what ends up happening, I kind of think about it like a, at least for me, I know, and, and a lot of people that we've talked to, it's, it's sort of like a slinky that's just barely stretched out. And so you make a little bit of progress and then you have to go around again. You go forward just a little bit and then you have to go around again. And it's exhausting and you start to doubt yourself and it's time consuming and it's, it's really, it weighs on your soul. You know, it really weighed on me. I mean, I spent most of my life thinking I was broken. Mm-hmm. I mean, like literally broken. I thought I was unlovable. Yeah. I thought I was unlovable. And so being in this relationship where I am, I am met with love, even when we fight, even when we disagree, even when there's conflict, even, you know, all of that, like one of our, you know, one of the foundations of our relationship is we don't withhold love. So even in an argument, we don't withhold love. You know, I remember once we were having an argument and we decided we were going to pause. We're going to take a break, right? We just needed a break. The emotions were too heated. And I said, well, I'm going to go to the store. And so I went to the grocery store and I came back. And at the time, Matthew was vegan. And I got him like his favorite vegan cookie, right? Like I got him a treat. Aww. And we were in the kitchen and he's helping me put stuff away. And I was like, oh, here. And he goes, oh, oh. And he gave me a hug. He's like, oh, we were in the middle of a fight and you got me a treat. And I was like, well, yeah, I might be mad at you, but I still love you. Uh, I know you have something else to say, but I want to ask how do you, so, because that's a, that is a muscle that is really hard to exercise, the being love in the middle of conflict. So give us your your favorite well, uh, trick for that, Matthew. Wow. So well, I like this. So we learned this from uh, a, a relationship therapist and coach we know, Susan Campbell. And she's pretty amazing. And she talks about – a lot of people talk about the five stages of relationship or the whatever stages of relationship, right? But They're all they're all five but there's different labels so there's the first stage which is the romance stage there's the second stage which is the power struggle and then there's three other stages after that and that's what most people don't realize most people experience the romance 
phase and then the power struggle phase and then either they fall back into the romance and then back into the power struggle and they go back and forth like that or they or the relationship ends and then they go rinse and repeat it with somebody else right right or break up and rinse right with the same thing. exactly yeah and so what what we need to understand is in order to get past the power struggle into the stability phase you have to learn how to fight differently right because in the power struggle it's an ego struggle it literally so we've come together in the romance phase as two people and become one right that's in the sense how we all think about it right we're now this unit right and right. and we're in sync and we have all these feel good chemicals and then these chemicals wear off it's a high right and then the high wears off and then we go who is this person I'm with and why do they leave the towel there? And, and can, I can't believe they just right. And we have the whole list of things that just drive us crazy. Yeah. Right. And, and we start getting into an ego struggle and the ego struggles basically is some version of, I wish you would do this more like me because then we could get along. Right. Right. But what you have to realize is this is another human being who has a whole lifetime of how they do things. And so it's not about getting them to do things differently. It's about learning to fight differently. So when you stop fighting for your ego needs and you said start fighting for the relationship, right? That's when everything changes. Right. Because it's no longer you against me, it's us against the world. Even I, when it feels like it's you against me. That's right. Because the the power struggle is an individuation that those people have to go through. Just like if you raise kids, right? Teenagehood is an individuation of that that child going through teenage years before they become a young adult to an, a, a you know a full fledged grown up, right? Um, it's really important for that to happen. And so same in an intimate relationship and in a romantic relationship. We come together with those feel-good chemicals. And what most people do is we hit the power struggle and they go, oh, crap, this isn't the right person. Mm-hmm. You know, this myth of accidental love that when we meet this unicorn of a person, we won't have any problems. Right? And, and during that ask- power struggle time, you're also dealing with your those childhood wounds that are being triggered. Absolutely. So you're trying yeah, to... And, that's the, and I just want to... You know, because we did shout out, shout out. I want to say again, shout out to Dr. Susan Campbell, right, of getting real, right? Getting real, that's her thing. Um, And so, you know, a lot of that stuff about learning how to navigate conflict, we teach our clients in the process of how we work with them to begin with. Because we're always like this, well, what's the point of bringing in the guy if it's not going to last? Like, we've all been there where our hopes, right, like hope. Oh my gosh, at the beginning, we go on even a first date filled with hope that this person is going to be the thing we want it to be, right? right? And the hope is the last thing to leave. So it's the first thing to come into a relationship before we've actually sometimes even met the person physically in person. Yes. And sometimes that hope can linger even long past a divorce is signed, sealed, and delivered, you know? Mm-hmm. And so hope is the last thing to leave, to, to leave. So. When you understand how we, we literally teach our clients what we call the strategies for lasting love. Because, you know, the, the strategies for lasting love have you be in the seat of responsibility. You know, when Matthew and I do have conflict, and trust me, every single one of our clients has asked us, well, do you guys fight? And we're like, well, yeah. They're like, well, what does it sound like? Well, well it sounds like a fight. We're people, right? <laughs> right. It's not pretty. But the thing is, is when you understand and you have the skill, and it is like a workout, right? Like mm-hmm. we tell our clients to work out at the authenticity gym, right? When we learn to fight and say, I, this, I, 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 instead of you, 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 and mm-hmm. you take responsibility for your triggers, your stuff, your wounds, 
you know, that's one of the things that Matthew and I are really, really good at. We're really good at taking responsibility and saying, oh, I got triggered. I'm sorry. My communication wasn't great. Or, oh, I'm sorry. I got defensive or, you know, whatever. It's the I languaging that really we can use the conflict as a doorway to a deeper connection. So your number one tip then, it sounds like for, because I was asking, what's your, with some tips about those moments when you're in the middle of this, the conflict, how do you pick up the vegan cookie? How do you make the choice for love? And so your number one, I'm guessing is what you just said, which is take responsibility. Take responsibility. And also mastering the I language takes practice right? Like we teach our clients a communication tool and we tell them to practice it from first meet, right? And we have some people that freak out. Well, why would I want to be authentic with somebody? I know I don't even want a second date yet. And we're like, well, if you can't be authentic with somebody, you're never going to see again. (laughs) At what point will that suddenly kick in like a habit? Those people are practice. Use the dating process as practice, work out at that authenticity gym, man, put the weights on there, work that authenticity shit out because you're not going to suddenly be authentic to kids and five years into a marriage. You're not going to suddenly go, Oh, let me tell you what I'm really feeling right now. Right. It's not going to suddenly become a habit. So use dating as practice, 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 practice. And the thing is, is, you know, it's like the right person for you when you can navigate the bumps together. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like Matthew and I didn't hit any bumps along the way. We mm-hmm. hit a lot of them, but we didn't avoid them. So my other big tip, you know, if you want tips is really to say, don't iron out the bumps because we're uh, so conflict good. avoidant, right? right? We go on dates and we we're hot for somebody and we go, Oh, that's not a problem. And we sweep it under the rug. Like it didn't happen. High, we're not saying look for the conflict. Trust me, you'll find, they'll find you. You don't have to go looking for them, <laughs> right? But when they come up, speak your truth. Speak right. your truth because when you're with that person who really gets you, they're going to be, they're going to respond differently. I mean, every single guy, oh my gosh, I feel like I had my heart broken so many times. Like I was always, I was, I could think of one time I was really the breaker upper, like the, the you know, the catalyst that initiated the breakup. Every other time, it's like I was like left and I felt devastated because I felt broken and unlovable. But the guys that broke up with me, it's almost like in the beginning of the relationship, they'd tell me all these things they liked and loved about me and all this stuff. And then a few months later, it was, or several months later, they were breaking up with me for the same exact things. And I was like, wait a second, I thought you loved and liked this about me and now you don't like it anymore. And, um, you know, I heard once in my journey, I heard somebody say, um, your soulmate will love that thing about you that mm-hmm. all the others left you over. And mm-hmm. I literally laughed out loud. Like, I was like, <laughs> that's hilarious. Sure. <laughs> right. You know, and um, and and I remembered it at some point, like early on in, in dating Matthew. And I remembered because the thing that most guys told me when they break up with me is you're too intense you know Mm -hmm. it's like I was I was the flame and they were the moth and they're like you'll consume me you know bye and they'd scramble off you know and um and so I asked Matthew I think I don't know pretty early in our dating a few months in I remembered this thing this thing I laughed at and I said to him I looked right in his eyes I said hey I have a question for you do you think I'm intense And the face he made back, I still remember it because he was so puzzled, like he didn't understand the question. Right. And like he kind of hummed and hawed for a second. And and he was like, oh, well, I just, I don't even think about you that way. Like you're passionate and I really love that about you. 
And I was like, humana, 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 humana. Like, oh my gosh. Like, it was like, I mean, honestly, it was like, the salve on your heart oh my god it was a salve and all of those cracks and bandages and stitches that I'd had on my heart like it it literally was like oh my gosh he gets me and he's okay with who I really am Mm -hmm. you know because I think on some level when we're single and we've been through the mill right we've been through divorce so we've been through heartache and heartbreak and we were disappointed by somebody because we had all that hope and it doesn't work out that we start to think something's wrong with us in some way however we do that in alignment with whatever our wounds are and i i just want people to really get it that that your your beloved is really that person that says oh i get you i see who you are and i choose you anyway mm-hmm. right i choose you anyway and i'm going to love you anyway i mean I think it's ridiculous in a way that we, the most important thing of all, who you're going to spend the rest of your life with. And most people are basing that on a feeling, really? Because feelings are fleeting, right? Our feelings change. Like the one thing you can count on, as sure as the sun will rise tomorrow, is the way you feel right now in this moment is going to change probably in the next moment or the next or the next, right? Mm. I mean, we're delusional when we don't feel well, right? When we're down in the dumps, we're like, we have this ego crazy talk in our head that says, oh my God, I might feel this miserable forever. This excruciating pain is never going to leave me, right? And yet we're never that delusional when we're in bliss, right? Nobody ever says, oh my God, I'm so blissfully happy. I think I'm going to feel this way forever, right? We're never that delusional when we feel good. And yet we, we base our selection process of a life partner on a feeling like, and don't get me wrong, the chemistry needs to be there. I don't think you can, you can go without it. It's like, um, it's like yeast is one ingredient in bread, mm-hmm. right? If you don't have the yeast, what do you have? I mean, it's almost Passover, right? It's going to be matzah. It's a cracker, <laughs> right? It's a cracker without the yeast. Mm-hmm. And I don't want a cracker. I want bread. I want that yummy, mm, like that crusty, crunchy, yummy in the middle bread. So the chemistry has to be there, but it's one ingredient, Right. It's not the whole kit and caboodle because just yeast. Who's going to want to eat that? So don't eat just the chemistry. Don't decide. Don't make that so important selection process on just a feeling. It's ludicrous to me. There's a lot there. So (laughs) as you can see, we're passionate about this and we could talk for hours. Right. So I wanted to give one more tip and I about the argument thing, because I think this is really important. Right. So Orna talked about having these pictures of her as a little girl and 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 you see that lost and confused look on her face right and there's one particular picture in mind that i always think of and it's her with her brother and she's holding this little stuffed bear and this poor little girl just looks so lost and what i try to do when we're triggered and we're fighting and all of that is i try to remember that right now i'm actually dealing with that little girl Right. I'm not dealing with this adult woman. Right. I'm dealing with that little girl who's hurt and scared. And I mean, I may or may not agree with her strategies mm-hmm. for what she does when she's hurt and scared. Right. Just like she doesn't care about my strategies about what I do when I'm hurt and scared. Right. But when we get caught up in the strategies that somebody's using, we, you know, that's when we're like judging them. When we're in the space of going, well, your strategies really suck because right. I don't like them. Right. 
And instead, what we want to see is we want to see that little wounded child and realize that this is just a little girl or a little boy who are tr- who's trying to feel loved and safe. So you get to step into your adult as opposed to because the the worst of arguments, I think, is just two little kids yeah. arguing. I mean, those, you, both those the only thing to do when that happens is take a break and get away <laughs> yeah, from yeah, each yeah. other because it's just going to Go to the grocery escalate, store and get right? him a vegan cookie. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, no, and I think that um, the the more we exercise our muscles of retrieving ourselves from the four year old and the five year old, that's a that's a muscle that needs to be worked out repeatedly. Like when you find yourself being triggered into the four year old. But I think that honestly is the experiential work that we do with our clients because when it doesn't, you know, so many people, oh my gosh, we talk to women all around the globe and and men too. And they're like, well, tell me what to do. I know what the problem is. I know what my problem is. Oh, I know what my love imprint is. Oh, I know what my wounds are. What do I do? And and everybody gets stuck in the doingness of it as if we're human doings. And it's so ludicrous because these strategies aren't in our big prefrontal cortex. They're back in our rep reptilian brain that when we're triggered that that literally our big prefrontal cortex goes offline we're no longer linear we're no longer thinking you know we're not in that thinking part of our brain so it's not about what we do and so ultimately there's if you want to talk about the way the shortcut of having a, a, a transformative coach around to do this healing work is that when you have a new experience you can't then unhave the experience, mm-hmm. right? Just like we have that saying, it's just like riding a bike. Well, what do we actually mean by that? The literal meaning of that saying is, well, once you've had the experience of balancing that bicycle all by yourself, you then can't unhave that. So it's an experiential learning. And with Matthew's toolbox to access the subconscious, again, not through the big prefrontal cortex. There's no filter anymore when you go straight to the source of the subconscious through symbol, image, story, and metaphor. And you guide a client for their subconscious to have a new experience. They can't then unhave or unlearn the experience. Mm-hmm. And so it's a shortcut in a sense because you can't unhave it. So you can never unlearn it. So when you have a new level, when you have a new experience of what, of the kind of love that you desire as a grown person, it's no longer competing with the love you experienced as a child, Mm -hmm. right? Like my house of chaos, right, didn't, didn't match the kind of non-drama relationship that I actually desired as a grown woman. Right. Like, I mean, I did all kinds of work. I mean, oh, my gosh, I've grown up in Los Angeles, California. If it exists, trust me, it's here. And I probably tried it. I had my tea leaves read in high school. You know, like I tried everything. And I think everything was a part of my journey because it was like a smorgasbord. It's like I took what was useful and I discarded the rest. Right. And a lot of things didn't have, they were like nuggets. They were like these tiny little morsels of goodness. And some other things were like these giant big nuggets. And I was like, Ooh, I got a lot there. This is yummy. You know? And I just kept moving forward on my goal. And, and what I want to say is it's like, yes, you can, you can stumble and bumble around doing it all on your own. Like you're in a maze and you might hit a dead end and have to go around and back again and around back again, or like the slinky, however you want to think about it. 
But the system that we created allowing us to really work with the subconscious mind gives us the opportunity to create what we like to refer to as a life makeover for a love makeover. Mm. Because ultimately we receive through the same size, you know, hose, let's say. Whatever it is that you want, right? So if you, if, if you want to receive more, whatever that is, love, abundance, joy, whatever, in, in whatever part of your life, you're receiving it through the same space. And ultimately, the work that we do expands that. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't, you know, if you're, if you're only receiving through the eye of a needle because your self-worth is in the toilet, like the way mine used to be, right? It's like suddenly we expand it. And you can't go from the eye of a needle to a fire hose overnight. That's like, that's overwhelm. You can't, you can't. You actually like, it's like stretching out anything else. Like I always say transformation happens over a condensed period of time, right? A caterpillar doesn't turn into a butterfly in a moment, right? A lemon on a tree doesn't go from being hard and solid green to the next moment being soft, ripe, and yellow. But when you have a system for transformation, it happens over a condensed period of time. And so our clients get to experience this at the pace in which we as the guides, along with the client, set for that specific client. That's beautiful. Um, I love that roadmap. I also, I want to go back to, because you just mentioned the doing versus being, and I was just at the event recently with um, Marianne Williamson and Eckhart Tolle spoke on um, Saturday night and they were using the the image of the cross and the vertical is your connection to the divine and so that's the being and then the the horizontal is the doing and the worldly, us being in the world. And I was just coming back to um, Notre Dame because it's so in like every 12 seconds I'm thinking about it unfortunately right now but um, (laughs) making me cry but um but the image that's being shown right now of the you know in the debris is this bright cross that is vibrating golden light right now and she will rise again that you know the light is still there the light the light didn't change I'm finding that it's a great metaphor that Notre Dame our mother our lady the mother of Paris was on fire and the being is what is revealed in the ashes. So I wanted to come back to this. And I loved what you just said about doing versus doing versus being. And I just want to come around to what you guys would like to give to people as tips or little bits of wisdom or things that make your life better around the concept of being. Sure. Um, I think... One of the things, you know, we've been talking a lot about, you know, the, the inner child and, and that wounded child that we carry around with us, right? And, and uh, I think so many of us have judgment about that part of us, right? You know, and it's, it's one thing to just say, well, you were doing the best you could with the information you had, as if that's enough to just go, right. oh, okay, right, I get it now, right? But it, when you are triggered and when you're in those strategies that, that – aren't helpful and aren't useful. A big part of your own healing is to be able to sit with that and have compassion for that part of you that is really trying so hard to help you feel loved and safe. Right. It, it just doesn't have a good strategy for it. Right, the not knowing. Like right? being comfortable in the not knowing. Yeah, it's and okay I, I think... to not know the right. answer here. It, right. You know, and I think a big part of it is is that we we 
judge ourselves because we have bad strategies, right? As if that's part of our identity, right? But a strategy is just a behavior. Uh, we always say it this way, you know, we could, what if we could show you a new way to get to work that gets you there five minutes faster with no traffic? Would you ever take the old route? Right. And everybody goes, no, I would never take that old route. Why would I do that? Right. But the truth is, there's going to be a day where you're not paying attention. There's going to be a day where you're tired. There's going to be a day where your mind is somewhere else and suddenly you're stuck in traffic. Right. Right. And the mistake we make is go, oh, I guess all that work I did didn't work. I have to stay here (laughs) stuck in traffic. Right. And, And what we want you to realize is, no, there's this other road right over here. You have to make the choice to get out of traffic and go over there, right? And part of that is to have compassion for that part of you that's stuck in traffic again, right? right? And to go, okay, this is just my old strategy. This is just that inner child. Because, you know, we can, whatever work you're doing, right? Whatever healing work you're doing can show you new ways, can give you new experiences, can give you new behaviors, everything. But those pathways that we learned as a child are not going anywhere. They may get a little worn over if we stop walking them so often, right? There may be some weeds growing on them, but they're always going to be a, 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 a neurological pathway that if we're not paying attention to, we could slip right into like that, right. right? And so having compassion for that part of us, right? Having compassion for the piece of us that slips up, that's tired, that's not paying attention and now is suddenly doing that thing that we so don't like, right? And loving that little child in us is, is a big part of the healing journey. And it's a big part of it. I always say it this way. It's the work has to be done on all levels, right? There has to be physical work where you're releasing the trauma from the body. There has to be mental, emotional work where you're thinking about things differently, where you're healing those old emotions. And then there has to be spiritual work where you realize, you know what? This is all for a bigger purpose of my soul evolving. Right. And, I, and that to me, when you say the image of the cross, yeah. right, that's how I see it. It's like that that vertical piece is is the, the sole truth of us. Mm-hmm. Right. Of what we are and what we're here to do and what we're here to be. That crossbar is the, the realities of the physical world. And because, you know, they say the doing the action. Right. That's all the physical world. That is us. Ha- thinking differently, taking different actions, right? And, and, and the doing of it. But if we're doing the doing of it, but we're not connected to the bigger purpose of it, we're not going to really get I love it. the important word that I'm plucking out of what you just said is the word compassion, having self-compassion and also having compassion for others. In other words, I feel like, you know, when I was looking at the fire and thinking of it as a reflection of this world, that we have so much fire going on, not just in this country, but in all of our hearts are on fire and we all feel that we're absolutely correct and right, whether we're red or we're blue or we're purple. Um, we all feel that we're right and we, you know, there's just, there a lot of hearts are on fire on this planet right now and I think it is a reflection of that and I feel like and in fact the event the event with Marianne and um, Eckhart the title of it and I'm it's eluding me right this moment but compassion was in the title of this (laughs) event and it just feels like that when we look at that golden cross if to quell those fires if we can have like you just said compassion for ourselves and also compassion for others 
It's beautiful. Well, it's the foundational piece. I mean, as people who are known around the globe in our work as, you know, identifying and removing blocks to love, I think the biggest block to love that we find is judgment. And the only way to heal judgment is with compassion. The only way. And what I want to say about this idea of the being versus the doing and back to the conflict and the resolution and whoever that's showing up with, because it doesn't have to be your life partner. It could be your boss at work or a friend or your kid or right, whoever. I cut you off in traffic. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, oftentimes when a conflict occurs is we want to rush especially in intimate relationship. We want to rush back to the connection with the partner, but we're skipping the most important part, which is the connection with self. And so you can't actually truly repair and, and end a conflict if we don't have connection with self first, right? right? We have to, we have to, that has to occur first, right? So it's like- And she's gesturing toward her heart. Yeah. Which is perfect for a superhero of love podcast. <laughs> I just want to say thank you both for coming and contributing to all the hearts of all the listeners. It's contributing to my heart, too. That was beautiful. And I'm so excited for your work and the work that you're doing out in the world. And I will put every single link to every single thing in the, the podcast notes. And everybody, look them up again. Let's give them the website, loveonpurpose.com. Thank you so much. So everyone, go check Orna and Matthew out. And thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you. This has really been fun. Yeah, this has really been special. And I love that it's been really deep because that, that's really important to us. And um, just thank you so much for having us here in your beautiful home. Thank you.